Oh, guys, you don't have to clap for that. It's really okay. <laughs> dad jokes are dad jokes, am I right? <laughs> oh, man. Hey, good morning, guys. Glad you're here today. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that everybody in life needs a hype man, a good hype man going on in their life. You guys know hype men, right? Like, you've seen a good hype man before. Who here has gone to, like, a college basketball game, Right? Wow, we live close to East Lansing. Come on, people. You just don't want to raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. But when you go to a game, you'll see that at some point in time as they're introducing the teams, they do that thing where they like dim the lights and there's like that strobe effect and they play some pumped up music, right? And the announcer comes on to introduce and he's like a six foot four guard from Banger, Maine. It's Jawan Spartington, right? Or something like that. And everybody's clapping and they're all excited. There's like that hype man moment that they try to get to and try and get you excited, try and get the juices flowing, try to get the team pumped up, help them to perform better. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago when Rick and I were down in Africa, we went to a church service that was, I was just rocking. It was in this metal building. And, and like, as soon as we got off the bus, you could just see this place was shaking. Right, the music was so loud. People were in there, were just getting it. Like they're shaking, they're swaying, they're dancing, they're having a good time. It's like deafening with the sound in there. Just worshiping like crazy. Everybody was so excited. And then when worship was done, they literally had a guy come up on the front of the stage and just say, hey, our pastor is getting ready to come up and teach us from the word of God. So get excited, clap your hands and get ready to go. And like everybody stood up and started cheering for the pastor. He had his own hype man. It was unreal. And I look over at Rick, and he's just grinning real big, right? So I just leaned over and whispered, it's not happening, bro. <laughs> okay, like, we're not going that route at all. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but we have a really awesome staff here at North Point. Like, some incredibly talented individuals uh, who have done some amazing stuff. And so I want to make a fool of myself here for a second, and I want to be the staff hype man, all right? So check this out. Go ahead and kick it, guys. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's happening, guys. It's happening. <laughs> so I actually showed those to my wife, and she goes, you need to write one for all the staff so that, number one, their feelings aren't hurt, and uh, number two, you can do it on the podcast. So tune in on Tuesday. Maybe we'll see if uh, Mark and I look ridiculous even more for the podcast coming up. Uh, but here's the thing. You've got to have a good hype man in your life. 
You have to have somebody who's going to hype you up, who's going to talk about people and the things that are, that are important to them and just make it look really, really good. And so this morning, uh, we're going to actually see that uh, Paul knows this and that Paul actually does this when he writes to the church in Colossae. So we're spending uh, our entire summer here diving into the book of Colossians. Colossians, and it was written to the church in Colossae, and it, we know that this was uh, once a very vibrant and thriving town until it was struck by disaster, and then it just kind of became a shell of its former self, and by the time that Paul is writing this letter, man, this church is much smaller, the, the community is less influential all around, and Paul is writing to this church to warn them, to let them know about this dangerous teaching that was kind of permeating all throughout to everybody here. And, and he's kind of wanting him to know, hey, what exactly is the gospel? In fact, when we started this series a couple weeks ago, Chris came up here and he helped us understand what the gospel truly is. And then last week, Rick popped up here and he helped us to distinguish what God's will for us actually is on a corporate level and, and on an individual level as well. And now Paul jumps into uh, what is probably my favorite passage in this entire letter. I love it. It's so, it's just a hype man letter here. Like Paul talks about the preeminence or the supremacy of who Jesus is. And guys, like this text, and when we read this, we should, we should get excited. Like it's incredible here. It's easy when you read this, and, and I kind of had the staff do this. I'd walk in their office randomly because I do that all the time. And I'm like, hey, just read this from Colossians chapter one. And they're like, what? Number one, go away. Number two, what? And so I like had him read this, and all of them kind of read through it and went, he's this, he's that, he's that. And I said, cool, what'd you read? And they all went, I, I don't even know right now. It just kind of like blurred over in my mind. It's one of those weird passages that as we read, it kind of just feels like, a, like Charlie Brown's teacher at times going womp, 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 womp in there. But, but the reality is when Paul wrote this, what he said, in a lot of ways, he was being Jesus' hype man. And every single thing that he says here carries a ton of weight. And we're going to get into that here today. But realistically, he's also just hyping up how amazing and how important and how life-changing Jesus really is. In fact, these first few verses, 15 through 20, uh, are actually thought at one point in time in the early church to be a hymn. Something that the early church would sing. They would worship God by acknowledging these amazing things about Jesus. And so this morning, we're just going to read it here uh, together, and then we're going to go back and we're just going to go verse by verse and kind of break down what it means. So if you've got the North Point app, man, this would be a great time to just open that up. You can follow along, read along there. There's some notes and things like that. Uh, there's some questions attached. There's a way to submit a question for the podcast, like, Jake, please don't do what you said you were going to do, like all of those things, right? You can do that here uh, this morning. But we're going to jump in here into Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 on through. It says this. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like, y'all, that is my Jesus here. Like, I picture when Paul wrote this, like, he had a microphone, like, let's get ready to rumble in this moment, right? Like, Paul is excited writing about Jesus here because this resume, this profile, this calling card about Jesus is amazing. Like, it shows there has never been and there never will be anybody like Jesus, that he is the goat, he is the greatest of all time, that none can compare And none can compete. Like, look at some of this stuff. Paul breaks it down here, and he shows that Jesus is preeminent, or he is above all in creation and in the church. Like, when we stop and look, we see what he says. Paul says about Jesus over creation here in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Like, how, how can something invisible have an image. Like that is the exact opposite of what that word means. Paul, like, eh, you got it wrong there, man. Like how do you see the unseen? And what Paul is pointing out here is that Jesus is the exact visible representation of God. He's not a copy of God. He's not a, a reproduction of God. He's not the separate entity of God. He is God seen. And in Christ, we see who God is, that he's creator and redeemer. In in Christ, we see what God is like, that he is merciful and loving. And in Christ, we see what God does, that he rescues and he redeems. And that in Christ, God reveals himself to you and me. And then Jesus is called by Paul here, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this isn't like, This is a little less than like birth order. Like that's the first thing we would think about. It's not that Jesus was necessarily born before the earth or sky or heavens, but rather this is more like a status symbol here. It's rooted in an old Jewish custom about the the status of the firstborn son. And what it's saying here is that Jesus outranks all of creation, all of creation here, that he is greater than anything on earth. That he is greater than anything in the heavens. That he's greater than anything spiritual. He's greater than anything physical. And the Greek actually gives this connotation that, man, Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation. That Jesus has this status of supremacy that's just like unlike anything else or any other being ever. In verse 16, he says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Think about that for a second. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I love this verse. It gives this idea uh, here. The Greek gives us this idea of in, through, and for him. This is the reason that Jesus has this status as the firstborn of all creation. That in Jesus, he is the location from whom all things, all things came into being. And in whom all creation is contained. 
visible or, or invisible, earthly or spiritual. They were all created by and for Jesus. That everything starts and is made for Jesus. Wow. <laughs> like that is incredible to stop and think about. Verse 17 says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things and he holds all things together. Like this is a beautiful, beautiful concept here. God didn't just like create the earth or the stars or the universe or mankind, animals, love, friendship, happiness, pleasure, music, poetry, or all these things that he created and just say, wow, that's fantastic. Go, right? He didn't just leave it out there. He didn't just become a distant God that just created and just left it to be the way that it is. But rather, he sent Jesus to continue to sustain the entire universe, sustain everything in here, that Jesus is the basic operating principle that controls all of existence. In other words, one scholar put it this way. He said he keeps the cosmos from becoming chaos. The cosmos from becoming chaos. In other words, no Jesus would mean that nothing is sustained and that nothing would continue to exist because he keeps all of creation together. Like as a kid, I sang a song, maybe, maybe you sang it too. It says, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands, right? Nobody else had a Baptist church, small Baptist church they grew up in, just me? All right, cool, thanks, guys. Thanks, all right, good stuff, right? All things, all things, not just some things, not just important things, not just big things or small things, all things are in the care and control of Jesus. Your family, your finances, your friendships, justice, love, mercy, Stars that we haven't even seen yet, places we haven't even explored, things we don't even know are in the care and control of Jesus. And then Paul kind of shifts here for a second, and he starts talking about the church in Colossae. He tells them about how Jesus is not just over all of creation, but he's actually over the church as well. He's over you and me as well. Look at this in verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And Paul is incredibly intentional here in that he is comparing Jesus as the head of the church, like the head of a body. Like, first of all, here's some basic like biology for you guys. You can lose an arm and you still exist. You can lose a leg, and you still exist. You can go Voldemort, lose a nose, and still exist. But you lose your head, it's over. <laughs> you lose the head, and it's all done. No head means no life, and so Paul is communicating here that Jesus is the source of life in the church. It's not a pastor. It's not a pope, it's not a tradition, it's not a liturgy, it's Jesus. And Jesus alone, like you take Jesus out of the church and you have a dead church. 
We will unapologetically talk about and make much of Jesus. We make much of Jesus because there is much to be made of Jesus. He is the life of the church. He is our life. And Paul is also showing that not only is Jesus the life of the church, but man, he is supreme over the church as well. And Jesus is the one who directs and governs and established the church. Like we don't get together and hang out just for our benefit. It's not about us. We don't do it to meet the ends of, of our, our, our members. We don't do it to just keep survival going on so we can just continue to exist. That's not why we're here. That's not why we gather. That's not why we, we worship. We are here because of the redemptive purposes of Jesus. We're here to glorify Jesus. We're here to spread Jesus. We're here to make much of Jesus. The church as a whole, like the universal, global, all over the place church does not need me. It doesn't need Rick. In fact, it doesn't even need North Point because it doesn't exist for our benefit. It exists for Jesus. And so that we can be a part of and follow after Jesus. And in some ways, man, that is humbling, but it is so important to recognize the reason that we're here is not about us. It's about Jesus. And then Paul does this kind of weird thing here. He calls Jesus the firstborn of the dead. Like we're getting some strong zombie vibes from Paul on this one for a second, right? But this isn't like some walking dead kind of thing here. But instead, Paul is trying to show something incredibly important. That because of the resurrection of Jesus, the thing that we celebrate every single Easter, that now Jesus is the source of new life in other people. In fact, Jesus himself put it this way in John 14. He said, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Like, here's the thing. Jesus always had the right to be Lord of all of creation. He created it. It was made by him, through him, for him. But he began to exercise that right of lordship over all creation. And he began to bring new life of us to those of us who are dead in our sin without him. That in the resurrection, Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death and he gave way to a brand new life for us. Like part of the symbolism when we do uh, baptisms is this idea of showing how you are, you are dead to sin, but you have a new life in Christ because of resurrection. Because of his resurrection, because he's alive, you get to be alive as well. He goes on in verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And if you were to jump back in the Old Testament of the Bible and just kind of read through it all, you would see that everything before Jesus shows up, before Jesus is born, that God made his presence known in things like the temple. God would show up in a place when his people were wandering, they had makeshift like temple that they would come and he would show up in. When they were a nation, they built a temple that he would come and show up in. God would dwell in the people, the temple, and people would go and they would cleanse themselves 
through sacrifices to come near to the presence of God, that God existed in a place for a time on earth. And then Jesus shows up. And now God fully and permanently, only in Jesus does he dwell. That it's, it's not a place that you go to see God anymore. Like you guys can come, you're more than welcome to come sit in here like Monday through Friday. But it doesn't mean God's in here, right? God doesn't dwell in, in a building. He doesn't show up in, in a place in here anymore. You can't find God in a place. You find God in Jesus. It's not a place, it's the person Jesus. Paul talks about uh, a reconciling again here in this passage, and he uses a similar format that he did in verse 16, this idea of in and through and to, and he's pointing out that, man, sin had broken God's creation. Like, things are not the way that they were supposed to go. Like, originally when God created, there was no death, there was no disease, there was no hate, there was no abuse, there was no decay, and they all exist now because sin broke his creation. But then Jesus shows up to conquer sin and to reconcile creation to God and to undo these horrific consequences of sin. And the way that he did that, the way that he did all these things that it was accomplished was through the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. That there was peace in the shedding of blood on the cross. That the reconciliation comes from the blood. In other words, this violent death that Jesus endured and the cross, which is this vessel of shame and humility, out of those came peace because Jesus allowed himself to hang on that cross. At the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross is what, what is, means for how a sin-sick, broken creation can be brought back into this perfectly right relationship with God. Like, guys, that is Jesus. That in all this, this weighty, heavy, hype man, poetic, beautiful manner that Paul uses, he describes how unique and powerful and loving that Jesus is. And that when we read that, when we see who Jesus is, when we stop and we recognize what it is that he's actually done for us, man, not only should we be hyped up, not only should it excite us, not only should something inside of us begin to burn and get going, but man, it should motivate our actions as well. That when we recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, it should have a changing effect on our lives recognizing how incredible Jesus is should change how I handle my finances. It should change the kind of parent that I am. It should change the kind of work ethic I have at that job that I hate. It should change our views on political and social issues. It should change our attitude when we have been wronged by somebody else. It should change every single thing about us because what was once broken inside of us is being made new in Jesus. And as a result, man, we are moving towards a life fully devoted to him. And that, that is worth hyping up. That is worth all the praise and all the glory and all the music and strobe lights and every single thing that we can give. Paul goes on to show, man, this is incredible. This is incredible. This is Jesus. And he doesn't stop there, but he goes on to show how it changes things for those of us that 
follow after Jesus. Look at verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I mean, Paul speaks to us here, and he gives us this idea of past, present, and future of how Jesus has actually come in and changed us. That it wasn't a thing that happened that's not a thing that's going to happen, but it's this continuous thing of salvation that occurs in our life. Verse 27, he says, uh, and you who once were, he's given this past perspective for us, that at one time we were separated from God. Like at one point in time, sin was such a part of our life that it drove a wedge between God and us and it alienated us from the relationship that God had established when he created mankind all the way back in the book of Genesis. And the result was that we became what Paul calls hostile in mind. It's this idea that, man, when sin entered the world, it just changed how we think. It changed how we view all the rest of creation. And we see that example in Adam and Eve uh, in Genesis chapter three when they first sinned in the garden. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Something they had never seen before, a perspective they had never had. They're now hostile in mind that sin had changed their mindset and perspective. What was once innocent in their life is now marred by sin. They saw themselves and other people differently than they had ever seen them before. They became hostile in mind and that they saw the world through what is now a warped perspective that viewed other people as less than or as dangerous. And that same hostile mindset that Paul calls out for us here is what happens in verse 21. It says that doing evil deeds, that because we see the world through a broken lens, not the way that God had intended it to be when he created it, man. It has caused you and me to just act poorly. It's why we view other people as low lives that we can just kind of turn that blind eye to. It's why we've got these innate biases inside of us that value certain qualities above others and lead us to treat other people differently. Because at one time, sin caused you and me to be separate from God with a broken viewpoint that caused us to harm other people. But it doesn't have to stay that way. That in the present, we've been reconciled and made holy before God all because of Jesus. That all of these evil deeds and hostile minds have been removed like a stain remover. See, at our house, we have... Uh, the Shout Advanced Stain Stick. I'm hyping up laundry here for a second, okay? That's how cool this thing is. It's the Shout Advanced Stain Stick. It's this little gooey thing with bristles on the end of it. And I've got uh, wonderful little kids that like get their grimy fingers and everything, right? 
And uh, so like all of my shorts have little stains on them because they're like that high. So this little stain stick is amazing, guys. I will like brush this little bad boy in here, wash it, come out, and it's like brand new spanking shorts all the time, right? Yeah, I'm hyping up shorts and stain sticks on a Sunday morning, right? That's how ridiculous this thing is. But the reality is, man, because of the blood of Jesus, it's like coming in and just removing the grease of sin in our life. That Jesus has taken this nasty, griminess away from us and made us look brand new. That when we stand before God now, he doesn't see what we were, but instead he sees who we are because of Jesus. That sin has no authority. It's got no power over us because Jesus has defeated it. That we aren't who we once were because we have been forgiven And we've been set free from that guy. And I can't emphasize enough, guys, how amazing this is. That only because of Jesus are we now holy and blameless and considered above reproach in the presence of God where before we were alienated, hostile, and evil. Like you can't hype that up enough. And Paul goes on and he gives us this warning for the future. He encourages us. He says, hey, continue in the faith and not shift away from the gospel. Like, keep on keeping on here, guys. Because as Christ followers, we have been reconciled to God to live a life that God approves. The reality is that, man, we've been forgiven and set free from sin because of Jesus. And we continue to live in that way and enjoy the blessings of his love and his care and his mercies just like he intended. But if we go back to what was the sin in our life, if we go back to those things, man, we are gonna experience the consequences of sin just like before. We may not be alienated. God may not, doesn't just like push us out the door because we made a, rep, a bad choice. He's not like, you're done, get out of here, right? Like we don't punish our kids and like throw them out of the house because they drew on the wall or came home late or whatever it may be, right? We have a good father who, who still loves us and takes care of us, but we were still gonna have consequences for the choices that we make. They're gonna have an effect on us, maybe in our health, maybe in our finances, maybe in our relationships, maybe in opportunities, maybe in in character or something else. And so Paul is warning us, saying, hey, live a life worthy of our new life in Jesus. And don't return to the same destructive paths that hurt and enslaved us before. See, here's the thing. As Paul is playing hype man for Jesus, and he's pointing out all the ways that Jesus is unlike and just far supreme than anyone or anything else, he's also challenging us to be hype men as well. Knowing what we know about Jesus should get us excited. It should get us ready to go. It should motivate our performance. That if we truly believe these things that Paul says about Jesus, then we should show it in our lifestyle. And we should talk about it regularly because Jesus is exciting. There is nobody like Jesus. Nobody that can do what he can do. Nobody that compares to him. Jesus is preeminent and he is supreme above all of creation. And because of that, he's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of praise because Jesus is who he is. I am alive. 
and changed. And I'm going to let everybody know how majestic and how glorious he is. And the challenge then is simple. Be a hype man. Worship, adore, and share Jesus everywhere and all of the time. So we're going to take a second right now uh, as a church this morning, and, and we're going to worship. And we're going to adore Jesus together. We're going to take communion here right now. We've got some tables set up. We've got a couple here in the front. We've got some in the back. The individual cups, if you prefer those, are still there in the back as well. But what I'd encourage is the band's going to play here in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And then I just encourage you just to come on down or go on in the back and, and grab the bread, grab the cup. And then come back to your seat and just worship for a second. Just spend some time in your seat reflecting on the majesty and the supremacy and the glory that is Jesus. And think about how it's changed you. Think about how it should change you. Think about who else needs to hear about that glory. And then when you're ready, feel free to just take it on your own right there in your seat. And then join in with the band as they're just going to sing a couple of songs. So I'm going to pray together first. And then when I'm done, man, just go ahead and make your way on down or in the back. And, and then just sit and, and let's worship together. So Jesus, we just say in this moment right now, you are supreme. You are majestic. You are holy. None can compare. None can compete. You are the firstborn. You are above all. And it's by your grace, your mercy, your blood, your cross that we find forgiveness, that we're made new in you. Jesus, we can't tell you thank you enough. We can't worship you enough. We can't exalt you enough. And so we come to you with our feeble praise and we admit on our knees that you are Lord. You are over all creation. You are over your church and you are over us. We're before you, Father, and we love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.